0: Welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Over the next hour, you will hear raw, honest, and inspiring conversation between Lindsay and her guests discussing how to thrive, live joyfully, and abundantly in spite of life's challenges. Now, here is your host, Lindsay McCowan.
1: Hello, and welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I am your host, Lindsay McCowan. And this is a sanctuary for you to land every single week and feel seen, heard, and appreciated through the inspiring and powerfully honest conversations with women like you. And I'm extremely excited about our guest for today. But before we invite her onto the show, let's take a moment to stop, pause, and connect. So wherever you are, just place one or both hands on your lower belly just below the navel. And if you're in a place where you can do so, just simply close your eyes and let's take some several deep breaths all the way down into your belly, these deep, full belly breaths so that you can feel the belly expand into your hands with each inhale. And you can feel that soft hugging in with each exhale. Exhale. And as we take these deep, full belly breaths, we're inviting the body to come into a more restful state, a place where we can be more present, more aware, but we're also inviting the breath into this, this, this area of the body that stores our memories, our belief systems, and even those memories that are tied to our past. So one more deep breath in and out. And then just gently making your way back. And we will invite our guest to the show, who is known in this lifetime by Anya Shefalavi, And I have known Anya personally for several years. And what I love about her is her devotion and courage to dive into the soul in pursuit of inner peace, self-acceptance, unconditional love, and wholeness. Now, Anya was thrust onto the path of spiritual awakening while living in Oregon, pursuing her master's degree in international public health. Anya's then-husband was diagnosed with a life-threatening heart condition, which set her on a path to explore alternative health treatments in an effort to help him heal. His medical issues triggered traumas, inspiring Anya over the years to take up yoga, So it triggered these unconscious memories of her own personal and generational and past life traumas, which inspired her to take up the yoga, meditation and other spiritual and healing practices. And this helped her relieve the overwhelm, anxiety and panic she was experiencing. And her transformational life journey has facilitated an intimate understanding of the karmic thread that she has been healing and has guided Anya into a beautiful heart opening and a welcome return to her true and divine nature. Along the way, Anya has become a certified force yoga teacher, a Nia white belt teacher, a motion code practitioner, and has completed her shamanic healing training and become a certified angel guide. So I'm so happy to have you here today, Anya. Thank you for being here.
2: Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Lindsay. It's really great to be in conversation with you.
1: Yes, we have a uh, Anya yeah, and I have lot. been having very deep conversations for many years now. Um especially over the pandemic, we just I mean, we started sending voice memos to each other. Like she would send me one and then I would respond and send her one as a check check-in with each other and what happened is we started to really hear how our stories were on un- on un- Unraveling and these great insights that were coming from our our spiritual practices, and we have different spiritual practices that support us. So it was interesting to see what she was doing or hear what she was doing, and she got to hear what I was doing, and we got to offer each other insights from our own perspective and to just be a sounding board. And it ended up being this beautiful, beautiful um, support system. At least it was definitely for me.
2: Me too, um, for sure. To
1: help, <laughs> you know, to really help work through some of the the trauma that was presenting itself um, through the deeper inner work that we were doing and through that time of the pandemic. And today we will we actually want to talk a little bit about trauma, but more how it relates to war, Ukraine, and just healing that cycle of interge- intergenerational trauma. And so Anya, as being an American-born Ukrainian, your family is no stranger to war, and I would love for us to start off by you sharing your incredible story, your family's connection to the Ukraine. Is that okay with you?
2: Yes, and I will say, we leave out the the, <laughs> we say Ukraine and not oh, the Ukraine. Ukraine. Oh, yeah, you
1: it's that a, before the show, I, know. And I still did it.
2: It's a really big sticking point with all Ukrainians, but anyhow. No, yeah, I appreciate it.
1: So, it's not, so just to clarify, it's not the Ukraine, it's, it's Ukraine. Ukraine.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ukraine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Part part of my upbringing is like, you know, remembering parents and people in my community, writing letters to the editor, like on to news stations, like leave out the, the. but anyhow. Um, Yeah. So my parents and grandparents fled Ukraine uh, in 1943, both sides of my family. And on my mother's side, my mother was seven years old when they fled. They uh, Both my families are from Western Ukraine and um, there was uh, I, an invasion of the Soviets and the Nazis. Um, so my mother's family fled when my mother was seven years old and they went westward, um, ended up in displaced persons camps in Germany and then immigrated to the United States in 1951. So. My mother left when she was seven and arrived in the US when she was 13. And on my father's side, um, they left in the same year in 1943. Also, it was like a seven year journey. My father was 13 when they left and 20 when they arrived in the United States. And I grew up in a community of Ukrainian people, um, you know, because of the threat of the war, because the Soviets were coming in and basically trying to do away with our whole culture it really sort of was the it's like my grandparents and parents and the community we ended up in it was really put upon us to continue the culture the language the history the religion and all that it was like on our shoulders and our responsibility to kind of continue it forward but um and so that's pr- primarily how i grew up like really entrenched in the ukrainian culture because of that um but at that time, you know, like Ukrainians, I think were really um, really driven like they self organized in these displaced persons camps um, they in- immigrated to communities that were already uh present, so their adaptation to u s culture or any culture was pretty good, given their circumstances. Um, but at that time, like nobody was really talking about trauma or PTSD. Um, you know, I think it was sort of culturally considered indulgent to talk about emotions. Like Ukrainians have that drive to like keep pursuing what's next. And, you know, I think we just, people were in survival mode. I would say as a general whole in the United States, when I was growing up in the seventies, eighties and nineties, any kind of talk about therapy was sort of like taboo or not considered normal, and that language, and the opportunity to kind of do therapy, wasn't considered acceptable probably until the '90s, in my opinion, because that's when I started therapy. Um, but I want to backtrack a little bit just to the experiences my family's had, like in this trajectory of fleeing war. You know, just the trauma of like being, being sort of like pushed out of your own country is traumatic in and of itself. And each family sort of had their own trauma that they experienced. On my mother's side, they fled. My maternal grandmother was actually Estonian. She was living in Ukraine. And so they had family in Eastern Europe. I can't remember which country they were in. It might have been Czechoslovakia that they initially fled to and like lived temporarily with a family and like 20 other people in in like a two-bedroom house. Um, My mom had stories of like, you know, blacking out the shades and and, or blacking out the windows um, and air raids and or air sirens, you know, to like for bomb raids. Um, But what happened was they found out that like the front, whatever it was, the Nazi front or the Soviets were moving further west and they just felt like it was safe for to, to leave and continue going further west. And at the border, they conscripted my grandfather. So my grandfather couldn't leave with the rest of the family, he had to stay behind. So that was like mm-hmm. one fragmentation and separation of family. So my mother and her sister and uh, their mother and grandmother continued westward to uh, like further to Western Europe. And they ended up in Germany in a displaced persons camp and when my mother was nine years old her mother died of a brain hemorrhage like she suddenly had a brain hemorrhage she collapsed in front of my mother Mm. only lived a few days and they couldn't track down my grandfather to get him to come to be by her side so essentially my mother and her sister were orphaned for a time being and um I think my grandfather, I don't know how long it took for him to get the news and figure out how to extricate himself from the situation that he was in. But he ultimately joined up with them. And then they immigrated to the U.S. And I recently this year found out that when they were leaving uh, Germany to go to the United States, they actually had to leave. My mother and her sister had to leave their grandmother behind which I didn't know. So there were all mm-hmm. these points of like separation and fragmentation of the family, unexpected events, like traumatic events, especially for a seven year or nine year old to lose her mother. That was yeah. like extremely traumatic so much
1: uncertainty and fear
2: yeah, fear, And just the, um, mo- you know, constantly moving, not knowing where you're going to end up mm-hmm. um, not knowing, you know, how long it's going to take to get somewhere where it's safe, that kind of thing. And on my father's side, my dad was from um, a very small farming rural village, and his father was very sort of like civically minded, he was like on the um, uh, just sort of like local governance and helping people who were sort of underserved. Um, He started like a farming cooperative for farmers to share farming tools because they couldn't afford tools. And he had also started a fund to help out uh, families who were descendants of, there was a collective famine that Stalin created in the 30s in Ukraine, and like millions of Ukrainians perished. And my grandfather started a fund to help support these families. Well, the Soviets had like lists of people who... (laughs) who were doing these types of things. And my father, uh, grandfather was on that list and um, he had already been imprisoned for some reason prior to this, but they, the Soviets um, arrested my grandfather and sent him like thousands of miles away to Eastern Russia, leaving my grandmother with like a baby, my seven-year-old uncle and my 10-year-old father to like care for the family on her own she was very capable, you know, she was from that village. She was very capable in her ability to like sustain the family with food, you know, farming and all that kind of stuff. But I think it was just terrifying for her to know that at any point there could be a raid and that like her her family was compromised or they might come and take her children. Mm-hmm. So My father had stories of like my grandfather, uh, my grandmother sending him to a neighbor's house and asking my father to knock on their door to ask if he could sleep in their barn, because she was afraid of having all the children together in case there was a Mm -hmm. raid, like so that, you know, they wouldn't all be taken together. Um, But my grandfather, some by some miracle made it back alive. Um, And then, you know, they, they kind of had the same trajectory, like they were also in these refugee camps. But I know my grandmother, kind of had issues with my grandfather sort of like being so engaged in sort of community efforts like he wasn't kind of participating and supporting the family enough and I think there were some instances of her just feeling like in those moments where he's arrested and not there feeling like you know in my greatest time of need I think my other grandmother probably experienced this too like in in the most traumatic situation possible my my spouse, my person, my partner isn't here to support me through the most difficult aspect of this. Yeah. And I feel like though that kind of trauma is sort of like what started to reverberate in my own life.
1: So but there I mean just yeah. listening to the story, I mean, like there's so many layers to it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just on one side of your family, but it's also it's on your father's side and your mother's side. And any one instance that you've explained mm-hmm. is is powerful, but there's so many instances where there's no stability. There's no sense of security or certainty um, for your physical well-being, much yeah. less, you know, just, you know, being able to provide a home, food, shelter, yeah. make, making sure that you can keep your, your family, you and your family safe. Mm-hmm. These are all just basic needs that we take very much for granted, but,
2: mm-hmm. and don't
1: understand that when those are taken away, that it can have an incredible impact on the nervous systems. hmm um, not just of those that are experiencing it, but those um, but how they pass those experiences on. So
2: also fearing, you... fearing for their lives. You know, yeah. my father, my father saw as a boy, he saw Nazis killing Jews in his village. Like, you know, mm. the impact of that on a child is great, you know.
1: Yeah. When you yeah. talk about yeah. PTSD and, you know, how that. PTSD is really when you have a significant emotional event mm-hmm. um, and that can, and that significance can vary, you know, it can be a small T trauma or a big T trauma, but all of these were big t
2: yeah, traumas big, right.
1: that your, your family is experiencing. And, and that, if you're not addressing that, you know, like you said, the therapy and understanding what is happening into, in our nervous systems and our minds that um, if it's not healed, it can get passed on. And so how did you first recognize the patterns in you that were tied to, you know, generations before you?
2: Um, I would say, you know, to talk about generational trauma, it's hard to distinguish between what's your personality. Like I realized after a certain time that a lot of us are walking around expressing through the filter of intergenerational trauma so much more than we realize. So for me, it took a long time of evolving through my healing to recognize that there was intergenerational trauma also sort of like as a layer or a filter through my experience. And uh, mostly it was through two significant events. One, when my ex-husband was diagnosed with that life-threatening heart condition, I was like living in abject terror from the moment that diagnosis came. And it was like a l- energy that was larger than me and beyond my control. Like It felt like complete helplessness and like obsessive worry all the time that he was going to die like especially in that first year like every day literally i was like he's going to die like within the year um and and then the second one being like when he and i went through our divorce like in you know we started that process like 7 years ago and and realizing like that that process of divorce involves separating separation of children separation of family mm-hmm. And not realizing until after the fact that that all that my grandparents and grandmothers especially went through with, like, having family members separated, that that was kicking stuff up. So it wasn't until, you know, because we'd been together since we were 18, my ex-husband and I. So there was a lot that was sort of wrapped into that relationship that hadn't been examined, <laughs> that was kicked up. And I feel like just those threads of intergenerational trauma of the fear of separation, fear of being alone, fear of being without a partner, not understanding how to, like, handle this, like, traumatic life event, you know, all those things I feel like were what got triggered.
1: So you're having your own, you know, traumatic event in your life, Mm -hmm. which needs to be, you know, experienced and processed, but at the same time, it's tapping into some unresolved trauma from your family's history that brings yes. makes what you're experiencing even more powerful. And almost, mm-hmm. it sounds almost overwhelming. And it was mm-hmm. difficult to decide, well, is this mine? Or you felt you said that it was bigger than you.
2: Yes. You were and starting definite, to sense that. Definitely. Like, especially when my ex-husband was diagnosed, like the his heart situation went on for 12 years and it was very much like one moment we're fine. And the next moment, the rug's getting pulled out from underneath of us, which again, way later after like he was healed, I started to understand that that energy sort of was coming from what my parents and grandparents went through of like sudden change, like significant life change. So in some sense, looking back on it, I felt like my ex-husband and I were sort of living through a war of our own. It, and. It was almost like in hindsight that I understood that there was yeah. layers of generational trauma. And it really did feel like a larger force of energy that was constantly like pressing on me. Um, and I kind of always was internalizing feeling that it's something about me that's not right. <laughs> like, like personally blaming myself for things. Um, but, you know, it took a long time. I would say that I really just started to process through the intergenerational trauma like within the last five years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, I mean, this is so powerful already in what we're talking about and that a lot of the experiences that we're having in our lives can be very much, um, can very much trigger things that are not even ours to carry, but are mm-hmm. ours. But, you know, until we address them and process them, what will happen is we could pass those on to the next generation. So we do have to go to our first break of the show. So I'd love when we come back to talk about, you know, how, you know, one, how do you recognize that it's intergenerational trauma? And two, what do we do to start to heal that so that we're not passing that on to the next generation for them to have to um, uncover process and heal? How can we break those, those, those ties? And so um Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with Anya Shafalavi. I love (laughs) putting an accent on your name.
2: (laughs) Time does go by so fast. It's crazy.
0: Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the Divine Feminine. When you awaken the Divine Feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, you awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Lindsay.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Women Thriving Unapologetically on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And me, your host, Lindsay McCowan. I'm here today with Anya Shefalavi, and we're talking about war, Ukraine, and healing the cycle of intergenerational trauma. So, we're going to dive right back in and our conversation and i'd love to hear anya you know how did you recognize how can we recognize when what's showing up in our lives um is related to the trauma of our ancestors and how can we and what are the tools that we can use to start to heal that and uh why is that important i just gave you three questions so we'll start with the first (laughs)
2: three large
1: let's 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 start with
2: recognizing Um, Well, I will be honest. It it took me years to understand that what I was experiencing was, I feel like it's everything, right? We have our own personal traumas layered on top of intergenerational trauma. And I'm going to throw in past life trauma, because I had all three of those happening at once. And for me, what I know is the experience of like, when we're beginning to examine trauma, sometimes what happens is we're we're just experiencing the emotion and we feel like we're almost inside of it. And we can't even, we don't even have the room to know that that there's another way through it because we're sort of taken over by the emotions and in the work I've done in the healing work I've done is, is sort of clearing that energy in various ways through various tools. Like for me, it was uh, therapy body-oriented psychotherapy, the type of yoga that I did, learning breath work and being present with my body and stalking and tracking energy in my body so I could identify where the emotions were living inside my body um, as, a, as a stuck place or a contraction or a pain or whatever it was. And then learning to sit with those feelings with my breath, with my body um, and 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 go towards the discomfort rather than trying to move away from it.
1: Going towards I, the discomfort can be really scary. Yeah. Too. So, right.
2: But wow. I had I had teachers and people that created containers for me to know and learn how to do that really safely, right? So that was really an important process. And I feel like the process started with me, with sort of like uh, removing all those. Uh, sort of filters and, and, and um, I don't even know what to call them. It was like living inside the emotions, sort of clearing all that stuff out through being held in a safe container by others was what started the process of being able to clear it enough. So I could be a witness to my own experience rather than being sort of entrenched in it.
1: Yeah. And taken over by the experience it sounds. So let me just recap real quick for everyone is that, so what I'm hearing is that One, you have to have the courage to 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 go get help. That it's like first you have to be willing to work with what's right there at the surface that's happening for you in that moment. And then having that container, having someone that's, you know, qualified to support you and helping to process those those emotions so that you can step outside of that experience and become more the witness. Mm -hmm. And and then you're not being so identified. With the emotions, that you're not so tied into it and being kind of thrashed about by them, but you can actually start to have some um, I don't know, I like to use the word control, but you have some, you know,
2: well, it in a way, I kind of feel like it is regaining authority over yourself because mm-hmm. because one of the um one of the principles of shamanism is that we are meant to live in wholeness. And what happens when we are birthed into this this reality in this lifetime? We lose pieces of ourselves that's sort of the process of our life experience like we come in with a free soul and a physical soul and we lose pieces of that soul so any kind of wounding that we have whether it's like an accident like issues within our family. We start to fragment right so we we move out of wholeness into these fragmented parts or into these wounded parts and then we're living our lives through the filter of those wounds. And when we start to do healing work in whatever capacity it is that you're doing it for me, it was various types of therapy. Like I said, body oriented psychotherapy, the, the embodied or like somatic experiencing in yoga and working with the emotions at the same time and working with the breath. When you start to heal those parts, it's like those parts that were lost return to you and you start to put yourself back towards wholeness. And when we're operating from the perspective of a whole person, it's like we're anchoring ourselves in our being um, and we're grounding ourselves. And then that's what gives us the ability to have that perspective. But when we're operating from a wounded place, we're very much like, I feel like from a wounded perspective, that's when we're subject to the filters, the filters of our own trauma, the filters of intergenerational trauma, and we're seeing and viewing the world through very, very limited perspective from a wounded perspective, right? And we, when we're, I consider that sort of a contracted, fragmented state. And when, when we're operating from that space, we're not well resourced, we're not well resourced. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, we're not in a space to like, be creative with how to deal with the situation, right? That's when we're in a reactive state. That's when we're more likely to kind of create damage because whatever space we're operating out of, we're, we're operating in the um, with subconscious emotions and things that are hidden from us and our reactions will tend to go sideways and co- cause peripheral damage, right?
1: Cause cool. we'll Another
2: accident. It sounds like. Yeah, but when we kind of resumed uh, those pieces of ourselves, and so like in shamanism, that's why we learn um, past life regression, inner child healing, a journey work, um, reclaiming like your own power and figuring out like the, the, you know, what your power source is, you bring all those pieces back to yourself. And it's like, you create enough of a centering grounding core aspect of yourself that you sort of like expand your resources to be able to uh, see energies or experience energies in in a broader capacity. And then that gives you space to kind of have a, a moment to respond to a situation rather than to react. Does that make sense?
1: i I mean, it's beautiful. I love how well you just explain this whole process because like what you said about living our lives through the filter of wounds yeah, and not just our wounds, but also those of our predecessors. So it's like, wow. So if, and that leaves us with a fragmented perspective
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in doing that, we're not, I love what you said about not being well-resourced. And so we're not able to really, and this is what I'm thinking is that, and you can, I would love your opinion on this. Is that if we're not well resourced resource, and we're seeing through the lens of our personal wounds and our generational wounds, then we're not able to really see clearly what um, new solutions can come through because yes. we're only drawing from our past and we're only yes. drawing from our pain. That's
2: and the only that's answer. Why we,
1: <laughs> that's why we repeat and repeat yes. and repeat and repeat yes. and see that happening. In our personal lives and the lives of our friends and the lives of our countries and yeah and
2: i will i want to add something to that because like sometimes that's the only thing we know though that's the only experience Mm -hmm. we have so like the the tricky part is like when we're born into this we come in with these filters it's the only thing we know we don't have any contrast to know anything you know we don't have anything to compare it to so Mm -hmm. part of my healing process was like pulling pieces of myself back together again and having a different experience, which then I could use in comparison to like my, you know, what I was normally doing and realizing like, Oh, there's this other state of being that I can be in. That's more serene, relaxed, open where my, uh, re response mechanism is different. And then that's what I want to aspire to. Right. And, and, and then that sort of creates the, um, the desire and the to, to keep going with the healing mm-hmm. process. Um, and I lost my train of so, thought. So so if we, no, so <laughs> let me ask
1: you this so, if we don't know any better, so to speak, when we're, we don't have yeah any other perspective but the one that we've been taught, um, and have experienced, mm-hmm. what is what's going to be the catalyst to make us want to? to change because if this is what we know and we're comfortable in this known version of ourselves, why would we want to step outside of that? Like Sometimes, what is the catalyst?
2: Yeah. Well, for me, it, it was, had to be huge, right. It had to be a life-threatening experience because maybe the life-threatening thing was the, the trauma that was passed down to me through generations. And And, and it's something that like really knocks you off your feet and creates significant amounts of pain and suffering. That's unbearable. Like that's, that's what it was for me. I couldn't tolerate the experience of the fear that I was experiencing. And I had to seek something to like offset that fear. I didn't have the tools and I went looking for tools Mm. to help me. And for me, the first thing was yoga. Cause I was trying to exercise my way out of that fear and mm-hmm. just exercising harder and harder. Wasn't doing it. It wasn't, wasn't like off, offsetting you know, the trauma that was internal. Yeah.
1: I mean, I sense. really feel that when you're talking about that, I was like, wow, I can feel that, mm-hmm. that fear coming up and yeah, the emotion around that. Um,
2: it was so intense. And it was like, I, yeah. And, and after a time, like for me personally in, you know, this this particular trauma situation that I had with my ex-husband with his heart health, it was like seven years in. And I remember like lying in my bed one day and I was like, I was, and I had already, I had had coaching sessions with shamans and I'd done my yoga teacher training. So I had knowledge and experience of like subtle energies, but there were things I was missing. And I remember we had some event that we'd just been through and I was like, is my response normal, like in the range of normal here, you know? (laughs) Um, And I posed that question to myself and it sort of was like, sometimes I feel like some part of us comes through to give us information and we just have to be open enough to listen to the inner guidance. And for me, you know, it was like, is there something else going on that's beyond my comprehension of myself
1: yeah. Is this mine?
2: Is, is this, this mine? mine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be, you know, a good starting point for a lot of us that are experiencing these intense mm-hmm. um, traumas and to say, is this solely mine or am I caring or is this just, is it also triggering, you know, some generational trauma, and am yeah. I caring? Is this my mom's? Is this my grandmother's or my grandfather's that I'm also caring? And that's just my experience is just bringing that to the surface. So,
2: yeah. And think um, about those stories you've been told and that, you know, about your family. Like, that's what I kept doing. And I intellectually understood it, but it took a while for like the process to really shift internally for me. And I would say, uh, not only like looking at, you know, if there's some events in your life that are really throwing you off track or like really giving you a challenging time. And it's like something that you're just having a lot of trouble overcoming and, you know, it's the patterns, like, are these patterns repeating themselves in your life and, mm-hmm. uh, showing up in your life for one, you know, over and over and over again.
1: Yeah. And so if it's happening over and over and over again, that's a clear mm-hmm. sign that, okay, maybe it's time for me to investigate this a little bit more, uh-huh. get some support to help me uncover why this is on repeat. What are the belief systems that are tied to this pattern that's showing up in my life? Um, and so you said that, you know, that some of the most effective things for you were yoga and breath work, the somatic movement to help m- get those um, to the surface and also some work um, and the shamanic traditions. Is there anything else that you would say is a really great tool for people to utilize or find out there that would support them?
2: I mean, I, I would say, you know, a crucial thing was the people who were supporting me and finding people that understood the nuances of energy, that understood uh, the language of trauma and that like the therapist I ended up with, who was like, I was having a lot of panic attacks and She was schooled in EMDR, which is like deals with sort of rewiring your brain Mm -hmm. mechanism, but she was also, um, had a spiritual component to her practice. So it wasn't just talk therapy, but it really involved me talking about something that's going on and then stopping the conversation and having me tune into my body and finding like, whatever the conflict is that I think is up here, where is that in my body because it's she really, stored in the body, correct? Yeah. And she held that space for me and let me sit for a minute, two minutes, five minutes in silence when I, in, in me trying to track wherever it was in my body and then really sitting with that feeling and her guiding the exploration mm-hmm. of that aspect. And it, you know, it started to turn into internal conversations with myself, with aspects of myself that were extremely healing. So yeah
1: And so when doing this work, I know we have, we're coming up on another break, but maybe we can answer this quickly is that in doing all of this work for yourself and also helping to heal some generational and karmic wounding, mm. how can you see this being um, reflecting in your own children? You have two beautiful daughters <laughs> and how you know they're with you this for this whole journey and yeah. how is this impacting their lives?
2: well when i knew i was having kids i my ex and i really set out to raise conscious kids so for me the most important things were one knowing that they're coming in as their own individual spirits and souls and they they have their own thing going on they're not mine right they're they're given to me and they're coming through me and to support and like keep their spirit intact as much as possible and that meant like really honoring and validating any feelings or emotions they're having so anytime they're crying i'm like I'm with them when they're crying, I'm, I'm validating that experience for them so that they don't begin to doubt their own emotions and their own feelings and their own experiences. And so it's teaching them to have authority over themselves and that I don't dictate what they're feeling. I don't put upon them what I think is happening with them. I'm letting them be in the decision and the choice around that. Does that make sense? So
1: it's absolute sense. sounds very powerful, empowering for them.
2: Yeah. And then knowing that whatever work I'm doing on myself energetically, it's naturally happening. They're, they're inherently linked to me energetically, especially when there's babies and toddlers, like whatever's shifting energetically in me and also whatever's going on with me, they're tapping into. Mm-hmm. So the more healing work I'm doing, and I'm coming more into wholeness with myself, more into the core of my being, they, I am a reflection, like they're looking at me and seeing that I'm well resourced, that lets them off the hook so that they can focus on themselves more. And it's not even a spoken thing. And then they can see that, like, I don't need to hold emotional crap from my mom. Yeah. Right and I mean, it's yeah, just yeah. intuited basically. But, you know, also it was like having open conversations about feelings and emotions, admitting to when I made a mistake and doing repair work, if there was a conflict, like it's really just kind of living with more openness about our emotional selves, about energy. I feel like they're both very attuned to their to energies. I've done like energy work with them, journey work with them, um validating how they experience energy in their bodies and their in their beings. Um so that that's incredible
1: for them to have that experience, you know, just to be, you know, have their feelings and emotions and thoughts validated.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then also, you know, by doing that and also helping them um create some self-authority for themselves that they're not yeah. they're not going to pick up on your stuff, you know. Yeah. You're doing your healing work so they're not going whatever that you've been carrying for all of your ancestors, isn't going to be passed on to them. They get to, they yeah. get to choose what they are going to carry on. Yes, to that yes. So, well, we're going to go ahead and go to our last break of the show, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, I would really love to hear how you responded when the war, the current war broke out in the Ukraine and what your perspective <sighs> of that is and how it ties to the divine feminine. So don't go anywhere. This is going to be juicy.
0: <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the Divine Feminine. When you awaken the Divine Feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, you awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv goddess to sign up today.
2: Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
0: You're listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thriving unapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay.
1: Welcome back to the show, Women Thriving Unapologetically. We are having an amazing conversation with Anya Shafalavi and on war Ukraine and healing the cycle of intergenerational trauma. And so we want to dive right back in because there's so much to talk about and so little time to do it. So, <laughs> you know, at the end of the last break, I asked you, like, to reflect on, okay, what was your response, you know, being American born Ukrainian with such ties to the Ukraine and your, the intergenerational trauma that your family endured um, during the world war? Like, how was it, what was your response when this current war in Ukraine broke out?
2: It, it was sort of like a, uh, like reliving my entire um life as a Ukrainian born in the States, it was like all the stories of my parents, grandparents, and what they went through is like, that's going to happen all over again. And really what struck me was like self-reflective. I don't know if it's selfish, but it was like, oh my God, I've just spent like 25 years untangling this trauma, <laughs> my own trauma. And now there's millions of people that are going to be in the same situation. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah. Almost heartbreaking thinking about just knowing what it's like to live in that kind of pain, and then knowing this like whole culture of people are, you know, people are going to have be traumatized, and they're going to need help healing. Yeah, Yeah. that was like sort of the first thought, and there was a lot of other stuff: (laughs) anger, disbelief,
1: anger, disbelief, and you know, and it wasn't
2: reliving history. Yeah.
1: Reliving history that we already closed this chapter. Yeah, not. It's opened again, and Mm -hmm. but as we talked about before the end of the show, it's just like there's a lot of things that are being repeated because it hasn't been healed and Mm -hmm. moving from those fragmented parts. Yes. Um, And so, this is just the encouragement. Like, okay, we have to bring those parts back into wholeness if we really want to see a a greater. perspective like pull from a greater perspective and create um new patterns for ourselves and so one way that we've talked about doing that in our private conversations is through divine feminine work so what how do you see like the divine feminine um as being you know bringing us back into wholeness
2: um Yeah, I had this conversation. I just finished uh, a course with a shamanic coach on peacemaking. And because the lineage I learned, the shamanic lineage I learned was Native American, and she was coming from a South American perspective. And I remember her mentioning something about the sacred, the divine and sacred feminine and masculine, and the way they work in synergy with one another. Like, really the masculine and feminine, I feel like they're kind of like the yin yang symbol that we're supposed to be interdependent and synergistic and symbiotic. Right. And um, if we're living in a patriarchal society, even though we've women have made some like created so much effort to like create uh, equality and, and whatnot for ourselves uh, through you know, I'm talking about the United States specifically, but I feel like this is for all of humanity. I don't know. I just had this realization that like, we're trying to fit sort of the feminine aspect into a patriarchal system. And that's just, is not going to work. And I feel like the whole thing needs to fall apart in order for it to be recreated anew. Um, Does that make sense?
1: It makes sense to me. (laughs) We'll we'll wait to hear what the uh, listeners have to say.
2: Yeah. And uh, and like looking at what's happening in Ukraine, I feel like it's just like become blaringly obvious, like we can't deny what we're seeing anymore. Right. It's like so in our face that this is a person operating probably from his own generational trauma and trying to sort of relive a past that's already long gone and um, and using power to exert control um against people who who self-identify as a certain culture and a people who just want to live autonomously and in, in a democratic society and have freedom of choice and that's how we feel as women right like that's yeah. all any human being wants so and it's the
1: toxic masculinity we're not just, we're not gonna, i just want to clarify write, it's not men versus women no, we're talking no. about ma- like a toxic masculine right. approach
2: Yes, yeah, so we're all operating if, if we're living in this society where where there's this component where people are trying to control the autonomy of other people, other people's desire to live free and as free and sovereign beings. That's that's coming from a wounded aspect. So as long as we're living in a society that's structured from the ideology of that wounded aspect. The feminine can't live in its divine nature either because it's Mm -hmm. operating from the wounded Hmm. structure because because it's fragmented and it's like our our understanding of the feminine is through the lens of the wounded masculine right so Mm -hmm. like both of those aspects i i feel like i had this realization just a couple weeks ago like it all needs to go into shambles i feel like that's what we're sort of seeing anyways yeah like in um, around the globe. And I think it's really uh, stressful and and creating a lot of anxiety for people because it seems like the world's going into chaos. Well, it has to go into chaos in order for things to fall apart.
1: Well, and I think about your own, you know, when I asked you previously um, in the first segment of the show, like, okay, what, what was like, if we wanted, if you're in this known perspective, why would you want to move out of the known? And yeah, um, it's the catalyst and the catalyst for you had to be like this extreme discomfort. And so right. as we want to see a global shift. There has to be mass discomfort um, in order for us to wake up and do all of our inner work.
2: That's such a good point. And that was the point that I'd forgotten about when we were sort of talking about that was that sometimes it's the only way we know. It's the only thing we know. Like we're only w- living through these wounded, fragmented perspectives. And we don't know how to do it the other way. And that's what's terrifying, even though the current way that we're, you know, operating is, is uh, detrimental to us. It's we still want to hold on to it because it's a known thing and it's scary to let go of what we know, even when it's damaging to us. That's
1: well, the- you know, if we're never talking about, you know, bringing in more of the divine feminine and that's not mm-hmm. to say we're letting go of the masculine, everyone, it's just to say that we need to bring ourselves into wholeness. Mm-hmm. What would that look like to bring in more of those aspects?
2: Yeah. So this is part of that teaching I learned from this teacher, like in, in truth, the divine feminine is really the, the birther of life and the creator and the mask. We need the masculine energy to create the environment to provide uh, and and support the birthing and creation of life. That's how the two work synergistically with one another. And I and I don't want to like misconstrue that and boil that down to, like, you know. I know it, it's such
1: a big concept, but you know. Uh,
2: yeah, right. Like if you think about kind of how women operate now, like oftentimes women are the ones that are doing the providing, like providing and nurturing. Um, but there's some kind of, like, I think we're, we're all operating out of the wounded aspect. And really, I feel like we need to reverse, reverse that and take a look at ourselves and see where we are not taking care of ourselves. Where are we living out of fear? Where are we living in a space where we're trying to control others? You know, it's like doing a lot of, uh, self investigating and looking, you know, it all starts with with us as the individual before mm-hmm. there can be this like societal change. Otherwise, where we, want, yeah.
1: we just start to repeat history again. Yeah, um, We might think that we're, you know, moving from a different perspective, but if you haven't done the inner work, then chances are you're not. Even, yeah. though, even though your passion and your energy feels like it, that you can't like is supporting what you consciously want, but subconsciously there's a different driving force underneath that, that we yeah. have to examine. Where are we
2: perpetuating, uh, uh, or perpetuating um, old habits, or 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 creating damage and passing that along? And where, yeah. how are we doing that to ourselves? Like it's always starting within mm-hmm. the inside.
1: And that's you know, and that's really powerful during our time. We're talking about how you know, in the in Ukraine right now, that you know can almost represent the the feminine, which is being. Mm-hmm. You know their authority and self-authority is being taken away by this toxic masculine figure and then we're feeling that in the united states right now too like we feel like the for many women i'm not going to say all women but that we feel like our our self-authority has been suddenly ripped away from us by a toxic patriarchal head yeah. and so you know, we feel kind of lost in that fearful state because we don't feel safe anymore. And that's what the, that's actually what the divine masculine, the healthy masculine is there to do is provide that, that stability and that structure for the, the creative power of the woman to come through. Um, And so if we don't have that, we need to find ways to create that for ourselves, starting with ourselves
2: yeah can i add something a significant yeah. point one thing one thing that was significant in my healing was realizing how much i was living in a victimhood state and even though oh shoot like my parents were victims of war you know and and i was starting to internalize that and in victimizing myself with my own emotional state yeah. mm-hmm. so even though we've been living in an oppressed society we have to, we have to figure our way out of it. It's not our responsibility. It's not our fault, but it's up to us to make the changes that are necessary so that we can live freely.
1: Yeah. And so anyone that's, you know, live streaming in the Facebook group, we're going to continue this conversation, but for now, for the live radio show, we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, So thank you so much for being here, Anya. And anyone Anya's on sabbatical right now, but if anyone wants to reach out to her, you can reach out to her through email at Anya, A-N-Y-A at starhearthealing.com. That's Anya at starhearthealing.com. And I thank each and every one of you for showing up each week for yourself. And you are listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically on Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And we are here live every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern. And i Please remember to rate and review our show, leave me a message, and I'd love to connect with you. Thank you
0: so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving Unapologetically. We hope we've inspired you to claim your birthright to thrive. Tune in next week where we will continue to give you the tools you need to flourish, prosper, and thrive. Until then, have a beautiful week.